Welcome to Four Points and Friends, the podcast that discusses Indigenous media by Indigenous media makers. I'm your host, Luella Bryn. This is a Four Points Audio Productions podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Four Points and Friends. I'm your host, Luella Bryn. And with us today, we have one of my favorite people, Lori Edmo, who is over there in Shoban country in Idaho. Lori, why don't you introduce yourself today? Hello, my name is Lori Edmo, and my Bannock name is Birdwing, and my English name is Lori Edmo, and my father is Kessie Edmo Sr., and my mother is Maxine Racehorse Edmo, and I live in Rice, Ross Fork, which is on the Fort Hall Indian Reservation, and it's called Kaivaduhat because it refers to under the mountain. I live under the mountain. Oh, like your background. Yeah, but that particular background is Stanley Lake. And that's Mm. one of our Aboriginal areas where we we, uh, hunt salmon. Oh, awesome. Yeah, I took that like 5.30 in the morning on a real beautiful summer morning. Oh, it's such a a great photo. Mm -hmm. It was really serene and oh, it was just such a beautiful place. So you are, what are you, managing editor, editor, um, Yeah, publisher, I'm the editor of editor. the Shoban News. And the publisher is actually our council members, which is who govern mm. the tribe, because we're owned by the Shoshone-Bannock tribes. Oh, okay. So give me a little rundown of what exactly the editor does at the Shoban News. Jeez, it's quite a bit. I do a lot of administrative work. So I'm responsible for our budget and our advertising revenues and anything to do with our our sales. And then also I write stories and I edit. I edit all of our staff stories and I also take photographs. And so it's pretty busy all the time. And also just keep track of what's going on, try to in the community. So, you know, we have story ideas for it every week that we publish and also I'm like the administrator for our Facebook page. So that's pretty busy. It's, it's constant. So it's like all the time job. It sounds like a lot of your job is publisher work too. Yeah. But yeah. I'm a really not considered one. Yeah. I'm not considered the publisher, but mm-hmm. as you know, doing budget budget stuff ten, doesn't tend to be an editor position, but you got a lot on your plate as editor. Yeah, it is a lot. And that's why I'm working today, even though it's a snow day. And I worked yesterday, even though it was considered a holiday, because you have to in order to get things ready to get ready to do our layout tomorrow, the newspaper and be ready to go to press tomorrow afternoon. Yeah, I um, I like to read the Shoban news because you have really great photography on mm-hmm. on your website. And it's always, there's always like action-packed stuff yeah. in there, and um, the I, I like to follow some of the political stuff that's going on there, and it really does. It gives me ideas on what I can cover 
over here. I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. something similar is going on over here. I should cover that. So um, I've been reading it off and on for years, kind of following yeah. your career. And it's as constant. A, yeah, it's a it's a constant flow of of great information coming out of that newspaper. And as a journalist, you've been one of the the people I consider a mentor, um, just in following your career and hanging out at nausea events and mm-hmm. um but i don't think i've been to a conference in so long um i haven't either it's just too busy to when you're running the show I, it feels like it, we're too busy mm-hmm. to attend training so what what do you do to keep your skills up to date i read a lot i follow you know, I follow, I read a lot of newspapers every day online. And I also follow, you know, the Pointer Institute and any kind of tips I can get from any journalism associations. And I, I read it and I follow it and I take whatever training online I can do because it really helps to keep up with the technology and the changes, basically. So it really makes a difference to read and it's worth it. And yeah. it's just something that's constant every day. I get up in the morning and start reading. I noticed that the the layout and design of the paper is really current and really um, the layout is always fresh. Is that something that you're picking up from all of this online training and well, the I think and somewhat, but also, you know, just looking, observing things, you know, because like if I go to a bookstore or if, if I read different magazines, you know, I look at the, the style and what they're doing. And then also we just have great staff members. We have really great staff members who are great photographers. They're really creative and they're really just good in their work. And it really makes a difference. And what's so great about it is they're all tribal members yeah. and they're really, uh, they're just just love their work and they're dedicated and that really makes a difference. So, so we'll be coming out with new templates for this year. So that'll be upcoming. And so our uh, graphic design person usually creates them or else one of our other staff members, we all meet together. We meet every week and plan for our stories and we discuss things and see if we any, have any great new ideas. And that's, the hard part is I gotta stop coming up with these great ideas because <laughs> that means more work. Yeah, but yeah, it does. It means putting more effort into what you're producing, but I, I think it, it keeps readers coming back. Yeah, and we really love our people. We have a love for our tribal people, and I think that's what makes a difference. Is you know we believe in our community and our our tribal members and our tribe as a whole. So that's why we believe we have to produce a great product and so that's what drives us all the time is believing in that awesome what kind of circulation do you have over there it's small you know we have probably we have probably about 1500 locally you know we used to distribute our, our publication out of state but the prices just got jacked up and it got really too high. So we had a lot of readership out of state in Wyoming and Nevada and in Oregon, but Uh we couldn't afford to ship it out of state anymore. So we had to stop that. So then it's primarily Southeastern Idaho. And then our, our subscribers are all over the country. 
Mm. And then our website's viewed all over the country. And then our Facebook page is we reach like 3 million people lately. Oh, wow. Wow. So, so, but a lot of it is because of the photography, I believe, and Mm -hmm. the videos and different things that we share on our page. So that probably reaches the most people is our Facebook page right now. I like to watch the um, relay, the relay oh, yeah. stuff that, oh my gosh, some of the best relay photography I think comes out of Idaho, comes out of, uh, especially out of your guys' Facebook page. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> Indian relay well, is we, just so fun, yeah. Yeah, well, we have, um, the one thing that I did was push to be able to purchase some really good quality cameras for all of our staff. Every one of our staff members has a good Nikon D500 camera. And even our bookkeeper has an icon camera that she utilizes, but every one of us are able to transfer our photos through Bluetooth right to our smartphones. So that's how we get immediate publication. And then we've created our own watermarks that we use. Yeah, I saw that. Those look really nice too, because Mm -hmm. they, um, you know, right away where those photos are coming from. Yeah. So we, we had to start doing that because, too many people steal our photos and, you know, don't give credit to whomever took the photo. And we believe, you know, our staff members should be credited for their work. So yep. that's why we started doing that. It's so important. It's so important to give credit. Mm-hmm. If you're going to use someone's photo to at least say, Hey, this is so-and-so's photo. Yeah. So and that, that way they might, they might get more work out of it, you know, and that that's kind of what it's all about mm-hmm. is getting them more work. But they well, love it, you know, and covering these relay races. And because we have like four people shooting photos and then someone shooting video, then we have some that are on the inside of the back back of the track and even on the corner. So it's pretty interesting, you know, the, the angles you get. Yeah. So pretty cool. Getting some good stuff out of there. Well, um, what is your favorite, favorite kind of beat to cover? Well... I pretty much end up with a lot of controversial stuff. And, you know, sometimes it's it's difficult. You know, recently we had an incident with the local sheriff, county sheriff, uh, getting arrested and saying some things that were considered racist, talking about our our people here, about the res and our people. And so I think that one was pretty, I had to immediately try to track people down to get a response on that. And so... That was rough, but, you know, and it's still ongoing. We'll be running an update this week, but it's just, I I like to do features if I could, if I get the opportunity. And we recently produced a a magazine and uh, that included features of our tribal people because every year we print a color magazine during our our annual festival and the powwow and rodeo and relay, but because of the pandemic, it's been canceled for two years. So, we decided to do a magazine to help offset those revenues because that's a big time to get our advertising revenues is during publishing that that magazine and that edition of the newspaper. So we printed a magazine and we called it Nazua Nua, which in the Bannock language means strong tribal people. And oh, so awesome. it was all about, you know, about artists and uh, people who are different doing different things exciting things or you know just working in the community or doing great stuff in the in the country because we have a lot of descendants too who 
may be doing some good work in the, in the U.S. So we try to focus on our, our people. And we always interview elders, too, our tribal oh, elders. Cool. So no, it's so important to do that. Yeah, just recognize people doing good work. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So do you think that you're, you end up kind of sidled with the controversial stuff just because it's somewhat, but you know, is? I encourage some of our other staff to work on it too, but it's just that, I guess I've been here so long that, you know, it's just something that I know what to do immediately and try to follow up on things. Cause in that situation that happened with the sheriff, you know, it needed to be done now. Yeah. And so I just happened to be here. So I just started making phone calls and contacting the, county commissioners and just following up and get trying to get comment trying to contact the sheriff but of course he wasn't reachable and had to talk to his attorney so oh, it yeah. was just a automatic thing to do yeah just right there at the right time mm-hmm. so what is something that you you've written that you kind of wish you didn't have to be the one to write? Well, I think the hardest things to cover is when there's a murder or a really sad situation involving one of our people who yeah. passed away because of a tragic circumstance. And I think those are the hardest things to do because, you know, and a lot of times they're related to me. So, yeah, but, you know, it's something that you have to handle it with a lot of, uh, compassion Mm -hmm. and respect and just try to put yourself in their shoes to realize, you know, what they're going through and, and try to handle it the best way you can. So that's happened quite often. And, you know, it's, it's really hard. It's really a difficult situation to do, but, you know, we have to let the community know what's going on because sometimes it's in the interest of public safety and oftentimes it is. So it's hard that's the difficult things for me to write are the crime stories and the the Mm -hmm. tragedies because yeah that that's the case for me is i am related to so many people here Mm -hmm. um i would say close to 80 percent of the reservation i'm related to directly because my uh, my great-grandparents had so many siblings Mm -hmm. um there's blood related blood relatives to 80 percent and um People want to be upset because, you know, that's, oh, that's your relative. Why are you writing that? Um, but, yeah, when, when it's a public safety issue or when it's something that is so big or so important, mm-hmm. um, it can't be ignored because if you ignore it, then people will be like, well, why didn't you write about that? Yeah. Oh, you're trying to cover it up. Yeah, you're trying to cover that up. That's your relative, so you're trying to cover that up. So I mean, it's it almost feels like some situations you can't win if you mm-hmm. don't, or if you do. Either way, people will be upset. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's the hardest part, especially when it's political, mm-hmm. when it's tribal politics, and you know that you're going to get accused of something no matter what you do. You know, you yeah. can't satisfy everyone and. But on the other hand, you know, you can't not write about it, you know, and if I don't think I can be fair, then I try to ask our staff members to step up and do it because, 
you know, it's a difficult situation. Yeah. So. Well, that that's one of the things I wanted to ask you about is your publication is owned by the tribe. Mm-hmm. So how do you, how do you navigate that? Um, knowing that the tribe can turn around and say, well, we don't like what you're doing. Like, is there an, is there an agreement that says they, they can determine what you guys write? Is there arm's length agreement saying that they can't determine anything that you're publishing? Is, how does that work for you guys? Well, for us, you know, we don't have a free press act or anything like that. And what I've always followed is our tribe's constitution and bylaws. Mm-hmm. And so in it, then there's civil liberties, and one of them is freedom of the press. So mm-hmm. that's something that I've always, you know, utilized throughout the years and believed in. And uh, it's just, and also it says in our constitution that every tribal member has a vested interest in the tribe. So the tribe funds our, our newspapers. So that means all tribal membership has an ownership of it. So uh, that's what I've always utilized and stood on. And yeah, there's often been times where I've been, you know, told something or other, but I've always just said, well, you know, we have our civil liberties and, you know, we, our people need to know because we all have a vested interest. So I've always, you know, stood by that and it has been tough, you know, and, I've been fired twice, so, and fortunately, I got my job back each time, but it wasn't easy. The first time, then I was unemployed for about eight or nine months, and so during that time, I started my own newspaper, and so I published, like, four editions, I believe it is, and a lot of it, you know, I didn't make any money, because it was, uh, people just came to me and asked me if I would do it. So I did, and I got a lot of donations for printing, and I sought, you know, advertising, and I delivered the newspaper myself. Oh, wow. Me and my kids. So, you know, it was was a lot of work, you know, and I didn't make any money off of it, but because people came to me and asked me to do it, then I did. And so until after the next election, then I was able to get my job back. But it was hard. You know, and we lived on commodities and, you know, we survived. There's yeah. a lot of my, we, my brothers hunt and fish. So, and, you know, I got fish too, but, you know, we always had something to eat and we just carried on. It was tough. I but, bet. And that, that kind of backlash, I think, shows that you were doing your job. You know, yeah, I hope so. Yeah. Cause it was, you know, I was kind of enjoying myself not having to do it. Well, I was looking for work, but I got Just, talked into it, it. Well needed time off. Well deserved. Yeah, then I went, I went for it. Yet. And that was before, you know, all of the social media hit. Yeah. You know, that was because I thought probably could have just, you know, done it online and just as easy, but I printed it. And so, so I had some controversial stuff in the, that paper too. So, but I got my job back and then, uh, been a year about 15 months ago that I got fired again but I filed a grievance after that and I won my grievance shockingly and so I came back to work I was unemployed for about six about eight weeks I think 
but I just took it easy, you know, and yeah, just just had some time off. Yeah, well, it was also during the time when my mom was, you know, it was the end of her her life and she passed away. So it was good that I was able to spend time with her, and you mm-hmm. know, we got to. It was it was challenging, but you know, it was good to spend time with her until the end of her days, and you know, do the things we needed to do. So she lived to be ninety. She was over oh, ninety wow. years old, so she lived a good life, and so it was. It was worth it to be able to spend time with her and do things with her before yeah. you know she passed on. Almost like it was fate. Mm-hmm. That, that timing of that. Yeah. In fact, I opened my letter saying that I won my grievance when we were sitting at the funeral making her arrangements. So it's kind of crazy. Oh wow! I was shocked. So that I'm is still crazy. hanging in there. So, <laughs> so far, not on wood. <laughs> How big is your staff? We have seven people on our staff. Oh, so wow. there's myself and we have an assistant editor and then a reporter and a videographer, a graphic designer, web person, and then a sales and circulation person and then our bookkeeper. So we all have our own jobs, you know, that we have to do, but a lot of us, you know, help out and you know, just like I said, you know, they help with photography and step up and we help with recording at times. And so, you know, we all have our roles to do so. Yeah. Uh, so it's amazing, you know, that we've been in existence 45 years, more than 45 years. Yeah, so that's a long time for a tribal It paper. is. Yeah. Because, you know, we could have just easily been, you know, let go or, you know, shut down when when, uh, you know, times got tough, but fortunately our gaming revenues are help with fun part of our newspaper. So. Oh yeah. That's a good setup. Mm-hmm. So what, what do you think has been your biggest triumph over the years as the editor of the show bad news? I think the biggest thing would have to be interviewing our tribal elders over the years in this magazine that we recently published, and we did a whole list of every since the years that we've been um, publishing, then it was, you know, to be able to interview all those people over those years. And so we just, we published like four pages of all the stories that we did over the years in those magazines oh. and the elders that we interviewed and what the topics were and the artists and the the bead workers and just people in general, then I think that's been a really big accomplishment because many of them shared, you know, what their oral history or, you know, just what their family values were. And I think that was, that's probably the biggest accomplishment is being able to do that. And, you know, people collect those magazines over the years and, and they save them. And because, you know, their family member might be in them. So, you know, it's something that I believe has really been worthwhile because it's so important to our elders are just they're They're really valued and appreciated. And so it's important that we tell their stories because uh-huh. they have a lot to share. And a lot of it's not written. It's yep. just oral history. And it's been really important to do that. 
Yeah, and those stories are precious. You know, once they're gone, mm-hmm. they're gone. That's yeah, such an important. So. It, it's such it's such important work, and mm-hmm. it's it's overlooked so much. Mm-hmm. And another thing that we did is uh, our Fort Bridger Treaty. Then we share it with the Eastern Shoshone. So, but you know, they're in over the mountain in Wyoming, and mm-hmm. we're here in Fort Hall. That we published two editions, a magazine and some videos, and in 2008 and then again in 2018 during the 150th commemoration of it so we went to Wyoming and interviewed a lot of their people a lot of their elders too and some of them are gone now the second time when we went back they were gone and but you know fortunately we were able to go to different places historical sites and know you know what's important to their people too so I think that was really important to do that publication too Oh, wow. So it was important. And yeah. it was really something to be able to go do that and just, you know, travel over there. And then in between here and there's Grand Teton and Yellowstone. So, you know, we were able to make stops on the way. And we were really lucked out when we came back in uh, from a trip over there in 2008. Then it was like in May, but it was really blizzarding and everything. So we made a stop at Oxbow Bend in Grand Teton you know, just to check things out. And that grizzly was there, three, grizzly 399, I think her name is, and her cubs, she had three cubs. And so we were able to photograph them and oh, my wow. eagle blew over. So, yeah, it was really cool. And the oh, snow was wow. like six foot deep. And so it was just cool to be able to stop along there and, you know, shoot photos and enjoy our time on over and back. Yep. So, that's been that's some cool. cool times. It's a cool interaction. Mm-hmm. Um, they always say that you know the the cliche line is journalism is the first draft of history, but like what you're capturing is is actual history in those publications, mm-hmm. and that's it's that's really awesome. important. Yeah, yeah. One of the editions in 2016, I believe it was. Then one of the original areas where our people came from was the Boise Valley, and so. Mm-hmm. I thought it was important that we interview, you know, all the different tribal people that were involved, go to their reservations and interview them and hear their oral history about how their people were removed from the area and how they ended up where they were. And so those were really important stories to tell. So it was involving the Paiute Band at the Confederated Tribes of Warm Springs, Fort McDermott, Paiute Shoshone, the Shoshone Paiute in Duck Valley Reservation in Nevada and the Burns Paiute in Oregon, so and then along with our tribe. So we interviewed elders from each of those areas, and they told their oral history. And it was fascinating how it was like a big circle, how they were removed from the area, and, and how even in one story, a sister from here was separated from her sister, who ended up in Warm Springs, Oregon, oh, wow. in, with the Paiute band there. And so they were often going back and forth visiting each other. It was pretty amazing, those stories that we were able to tell in that publication. Oh, my gosh. All interconnected. Mm-hmm. And that, that that history is still intact. is mm-hmm. so amazing. Oh, yes. man. That is so pretty cool. cool. Yeah. Wow. I just want to read it now. <laughs> I think we still have some left, but I also produce in... From those stories, then I put it into an exhibit, and Ooh. it was on 
it was on display at the Idaho, the, the Idaho Museum of History in Boise oh. for a couple of weeks. And then it went to out to Celebration Park, which is out in Nampa by the Long Snake River. And then now it's back here and it's supposed to go to all of the tribes so they could do it. But oh, it's cool. an exhibit that was produced out of it too. Nice. Mm-hmm. That's so cool. You should, it needs to go online. Yeah, that's an idea. But, you know, when our roof caved in at our previous building we were located, uh-huh. then I had all of the files stored on an external drive. And <sighs> the one portion of that drive where that was stored oh, just no. got destroyed. And so I have, you know, I hope the written stories, you know, I have all of those, but that particular exhibit that was, you know, all the big boards of it then it got destroyed so yeah unfortunately you need an intern to reproduce yep so but i need to do it anyway because it needs to all go into a magazine another magazine that i got a fellowship for to uh, save those stories and so we can share it on the boise valley nice well that's good though because you got a fellowship so at least you'll be getting paid to do it yeah i gotta get busy on that too I know, right? I need to start. Yeah. I need to start trying to get some some fellowships or grants or something to get funded because I am yeah. unfunded at this point. Yeah, it really <laughs> makes a difference because with that fellowship I got, I was able to buy a new camera, so I have oh. my own Nikon D five hundred, and then I also bought a new laptop, a oh, little MacBook oh. MacBook oh, Air. That's what so, I want. Yeah, so it really helped a lot it costs more than the, what the fellowship i got but it paid for the majority of it nice so that was worth it nice so as old as i am i'm still applying for fellowships and uh, that, see so. that's i that's what i need to do i need guidance i need guidance on how to do any of that like i've i've never i've never applied for anything like that so i'm mm-hmm. it's worth it but it's just by chance or if i come across something you know where it's opened and so there's quite a few, few different opportunities and it can be just related to covering issues on your tribe yeah. to tie it in with your publication. Yeah. Well, everything that I've seen so far, um, it, it says, do you have to be un, unconnected to an organization? Hmm. And I'm like, wow, what the hell? Why, why hmm. does it want me to be unconnected to an organization? It wants me to be like a poor vagrant. Well, you could be an individual artist because, you know, we are artists. Yeah. Because a lot of the work that we do is because of it. Yeah. So so, even humanities grants. Yeah. You can apply for because we got one one year just to have a big slideshow of our photographs and our work. I guess I could, yeah, apply as an individual, like a freelancer or. Mm-hmm. An, an individual writer. I never consider myself a writer because I, I, I can, cons- like, I honestly view my writing as a trade. Mm-hmm. I feel like a tradesman more, more so than a than an artist because it really mm-hmm. is, you know, like a, a carpenter builds things to pay the bills, not to put on display. Oh yeah, and, like that's what I, I write to pay the bills, not not to create art but i guess well, you i just am have to be uh creative in how yeah. you 
and how, how I learned it. Yeah, what you do, you know, and it really makes a difference. Yeah, some of those grant, like I saw a fellowship for a hundred thousand dollars, and I was looking at some of the past fellows that were funded, and one of them made a toolkit for voters to combat all the money that the, the Republicans in that area were spending on ads. Mm-hmm. And then one made a, um, a five minute documentary about the history of one item. <laughs> and like, I want to do, I wanted to write a series of articles that are like, 2,500 to 3,000 word biographies of Mm -hmm. murdered and missing people that are like pre-1990. Oh, yeah. Because we don't hear about those cases. Like, Mm -hmm. the the hotness right now is recent cases. Yeah. Especially in this this area, it's cases that are from like 2017 on. -hmm. But in Bighorn County and on the Crow Reservation, their cases stretch back to the 40s, to the third, to the 1930s, um, and really across this country. I mean, you can trace cases back to pre-reservation era okay. if you did the research. Um, but just within my own family, there's probably four or five cases. Um, my great grandma, who was who I was named after, she had a set of twins when she was a young teenager, and they just took them from her when they were born. Wow! And she never knew what happened to them. Hmm. And so, like that was the first case in my family. Mm-hmm. And um, then my dad lost his sister when she was sixteen. Um, they found her in at the fairgrounds in Hardin. In the, on Thanksgiving Day, and that was the most recent case in the set in 1977. Wow! But it's like every family here has cases like that. Mm-hmm. And what I wanted to do with this project was to write these biographies, not the story of their death or of the investigation, but biographies, and have those biographies up for a full like two weeks and then have the case study of whether or not the case was investigated and and the outcome and how it affected the family replace that biography for two weeks that'd be awesome and then the next two weeks a new biography and the next two weeks a new case study and then Mm -hmm. after like 12 of them run compile them into a special edition book and That'd then that the sales from that book would fund the project for another year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it'd be really cool to know about the person themselves. Yeah. You know, who were they and what was their life about and just things like that. Who were their relatives and, you know, yeah, what and happened? What did they, what did they like to do? And what was their personality like? And, you know, what led them to the events leading up to their death? And because all we ever hear about is the gruesome deaths and the party they went to or or the, 
the person they ended up being kidnapped by or or whatever but it's never about them as a as like an actual person yeah we have two cases right now that one is a a, a younger man who's been missing since 2019 and then there's another man who's been missing since the 70s the early 70s you know and that's something that really needs to be followed up on and I think we've been slacking in that area. We need to do more and talk about exactly what you said. Because maybe yeah. that would be helpful in finding them. Well, like, I have a relative right now who was killed in a hit and run in Billings. And the driver of the car who hit him was pulled over uh, like a half an hour before he got hit. Mm-hmm. And they let him go even though he had no insurance and he was obviously a DUI. And then within a half hour of getting pulled over, he hits my relative and kills him and drags him. Oh God. And he's still not in jail. That's crazy. And then the cops are, are the investigators saying that, well, he was jaywalking and he was in the wrong but in the state of Montana, the pedestrian always has the right of way, regardless mm-hmm. of whether they're jaywalking or not. So he's never been charged? No. That's crazy. And he um, he's still out. And they won't say who the guy is who got who hit him. They won't tell anyone who he was, even though he was pulled over. And so I'm all pretty pissed off about it. Mm-hmm. And um, he didn't even get ticketed for having no insurance. When, when crazier. When a couple nights ago, there was a, a, a high-speed chase involving Native Americans. And they chased them onto the reservation and um, arrested them. But they had insurance mm-hmm. and um, they're all in jail already. That's and they've ridiculous. all they've all faced their charges already. They, the bonds have all been set for them already. Yeah. Like within a matter of hours, they were all charged and bonds were set. And they didn't hit anybody. That's nuts. And so I'm just... It's just not a fair world that we're living in. It isn't. I mean, look at the situation with the sheriff. He, you know, he was charged with two felonies, and he never even got arrested. Yeah. So he's just allowed to be free, and he still hasn't. Everybody's been calling him for him to resign different places, and he hasn't resigned. So it's just—it's just. It's out of control. I just am yeah. so frustrated with it. And I, you know, it just it just goes to show, you know, mm-hmm. that the, the jobs that we do are needed. Mm-hmm. Um I I called my cousin called me because she's trying to do a GoFundMe because when he got hit by the car, the funeral home was like, Well, we'll just wait for the insurance payout to pay for the funeral. Well, they mm-hmm. come to find out the guy didn't have insurance. And so now it's been a full month and the funeral home is like, okay, we need payment. And so she's like, how do I write a GoFundMe narrative? 
she's like, I'm so mad. I don't even know what to write in it because all I want to write is let's all get together and lynch this guy. And I'm yeah. like, well, you can't write that. <laughs> so I told her kind of in general, I said, just write it really short and sweet, you know, this, this, and this. I said, but we need to get together and we need to write an article about how the Billings Police Department is kind of jerking you guys around. Because first of all, if anyone was if anyone was standing in the middle of the road and they got hit by a car, it doesn't it doesn't mean the guy who hit him is innocent. That yeah, definitely. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, and they didn't pull surveillance camera from any of the businesses surrounding it, and it's a little hotel district, and so they all have cameras that look onto the. Um, parking right in front of the hotel but mm -hmm. those cameras extended to the street and so it would be easy to see that he was on the sidewalk this guy jumped the curb hit the sidewalk and then drug him into the street gosh that's senseless it, if he got drug dragged by the car it, it's obvious by the blood trail that she saw because the scene wasn't taped off. She pulled right up to the scene. He had been laying there for hours, for like three hours. And the scene wasn't taped off. That's really crazy. They need it's, to be investigated. Yeah. The police need to be investigated. And so we're going to, I got to meet with her tomorrow. And we're going to get an article going. And I'm going to try my best to get copies of surveillance video because this is rapidly turning into a, an MMIP case. Wow. And it shouldn't, it shouldn't, it shouldn't be. It should be a, a simple hit and run investigation. The guy should be arrested. Manslaughter. Or yeah, negligent homicide. Or yeah, vehicular, vehicular homicide. homicide. And the simple fact that he was pulled over for um, suspected DUI a half an hour before that and then let go shows that the police department is not doing their jobs. So frustrating. And you, and, and you, yeah, uh, it's like you can't, you can't get up in arms and you can't get radicalized and you can't get so angry that you're yelling and screaming because then people don't take you seriously yeah you have to stay calm even you though you have you might be filled with rage pissed off. yeah uh-huh but other people can like people with different skin color mm -hmm. they can get like that and they can be filled with rage and they can get so mad that their faces turn red and then people will like be like okay we'll listen to you um but natives we can't do that because then we scare people mm -hmm. and that it, it feels so unfair that we have to always self-soothe because otherwise our natural emotions scare people yeah my grandma always told us that 
we need to keep our bannock cool. And yeah. So that's what I always keep in the back of my mind and try to believe and do that as best as I can, even though it can be difficult. <laughs> it's so hard. And I'm just like one of those people who could really easily just spin out of control and be a Tasmanian devil. <laughs> like that's Me my too. natural state. That's my natural state. But my mom's always reminding me, uh, you know, you have to play it cool. You have to be, you have to learn how to speak the way they speak and act the way they act. Yep. And it's hard, but it's true. So, but that's one of the things I learned being a, a journalist is how to, as they say, walk into worlds. Mm -hmm. um, not necessarily as a as a native and a and a non-native, but as a um, observer and a participator, right? Mm -hmm. As as I participate in my in my community. On one hand, as as a parent, as a cultural tribal member, as a as a football mom, as a as a whatever, but then there are times when I have to be the observer, and step back and take notes or take audio recording or take photos, and when I wasn't covering my own community, that was really really easy to do, mm -hmm. right? But yeah. covering my own community was a huge learning curve for me. How do you manage that? How do you manage that, that line of participation and observation? I think a lot of it is you have to really earn the trust of the people. And I think, and particularly like with our, our language, you know, I've, I've been learning our language over the years, our Bannock language in some Shoshone, but we really had to learn the trust of our teachers, our tribal elders, so that, you know, because with today's technology, it's really easy to want to go online and get on social media and share everything. But, you know, you they don't want that right yeah. now, even though it may be helpful. But, you know, you have to respect their wishes and then just getting to know your tribal people, you know, and being able to go out and cover things that, you know, just you just like they get used to you and uh, they know like little kids, they always know when we're around because of our cameras mm -hmm. and like at our different functions, you know, when we were having powwows or gatherings and, you know, they, they want their photos taken or else like tonight there's basketball games. So, you know, they like to see those action shots. And so it's something that, you know, they become used to you doing that. And it's just, they, a lot of times they, they want their stories told. Yeah. So, but, it, and even if, you know, they're hesitant, then you just try to work with them and explain, you know, why it might be important or, you know, what, how it can help the situation or even if it's a real sensitive subject, then uh, how it might make a difference. Yeah. And it can be hard, but it's something that you just get used to doing. And I've been doing it for so long that, you know, it's just like, I just learned to just do it and rather, yeah. even though sometimes there might be situations where you need to ask if it's okay. 
And, you yeah. know, I do that because just out of respect for the people or the, the event or whatever it's involved. So. Yeah, I always I always wear my press pass when I'm a reporter, even though mm-hmm. everyone knows who I am. Everybody knows me here. They're oh, it's that loud Luella. <laughs> um, but when I whenever I'm covering something, I'll wear my press pass just so people know I'm on duty. Mm-hmm. And then so like when my son was playing football, I would cover the first quarter and the third quarter. Mm-hmm. And so I'd put my press pass on and I'd go on the sidelines and take pictures and stuff. And then I would take it off or I'd tuck it inside my shirt and then I'd be football mom and I'd go in the bleachers and be like, ah, and then I'd pull it back out and I'd go back on the sidelines and take photos third quarter. Then I'd tuck it back in and I'd be football mom fourth quarter. (laughs) (laughs) That's an interesting way to do it. I was constant the whole game. I'd be shooting photos because, you know, I wouldn't want to miss anything, so. Yeah, and like when he's when he wasn't playing, when like after he graduated, then I, um, and they started up football again. Then I would just be there the whole time taking pictures. But like, I didn't want to miss him playing. And when when he was when I was taking pictures, I wouldn't get to watch the game. I was just trying to get a good picture. <laughs> um, but at different events, I want to be a participant at different events. I don't Mm -hmm. want to shoot photos or I don't want to take notes or I don't want to pay attention to the point where I'm taking diligent notes and observing body language and observing this, that, or the other. And there's no one else on my team to do that. (laughs) And so sometimes like it's really hard for me to want to cover something um or i'll give my kid like 10 bucks to just shoot video of it mm-hmm. i'm like just videotape this whole thing on the on the phone so i can write a story about it later so that yeah, I, I can that, enjoy myself while I'm well there. that really makes a difference you know as having an iphone and shooting video yeah I mean, that really makes it easier Although you just got to make sure your vid- your your battery's charged. Yeah, we have for a portable battery he hooks up to, uh-huh. just videos it. Um, that's my little um antisocial child who would rather not talk to anybody. So he's good for that. My other kids like me, he just wants to talk to everybody and be a part of everything <laughs> and do everything and wear his reservation hat and just get all decked out and just be everywhere. Um, but one of the most difficult things that I had to deal with was the funeral for Selena Not Afraid was. Oh, yeah, that was so tragic to read uh, all that stuff. There was about 2,500 people in that gym. Wow. 2,000 maybe. Mm-hmm. And um, I was going to go and cover the funeral. I was going to go in and take notes and... Um, write a story and you know the typical funeral story and observe and but my son wanted to go so I was like okay well you can go in there with me I'm going to take notes and stuff but you can go with me but Matt when he broke down in that funeral I was like I'm not a reporter right now I gotta be a mom I'm just a mom at a funeral and Mm -hmm. um, but I turned on my audio recorder and just set it by me and 
that was hard. That one was so hard. And even after the funeral, it was too hard for me to listen to the audio. Mm -hmm. So I had my reporter transcribe it. And then after that, I could, I could write, but, um, some of those, some of those events and stuff are when, when you're from the community, they're so hard to cover. Yeah. So I don't know. I think you just have to learn how to have a thick skin sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you really do. Because there's so many instances of things that have happened that are controversial then you know you just have to learn to take it you know yeah. and just go in even in the community you know people come up to you and let them know what they think and you know I might be in the grocery store or something and they tell me things and sometimes in certain instances then you just have to listen they just want somebody to talk to and try to offer some type of solution but you know when you let them know they have to be on the record if a story has to be written then you know, sometimes they don't want to, but sometimes it helps just to talk about it. Mm -hmm. So sometimes you just have to be a good listener. Yeah. And it can be rough sometimes, but. Yeah. It's, just, it's like, I'm not, I'm not a counselor, but I can listen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's uh, true. Like a bartender or, or a hairstylist. You're like, I, I don't know what to tell you, but. Here's a number to someone who could help. <laughs> yeah, offer solutions. You know, sometimes I have to do that. I do. I've given up my counselor's number a few times. Um, but um, so if someone, if there's a kid out there listening um, or even an adult who's thinking of changing careers what, and they're considering journalism as a career, what kind of advice would you give them? I would say go for it because, you know, storytelling is part of our culture. And there are so many stories to tell. And, you know, it's so important to listen to our people and, and tell who, the, you know, tell who they are and let them know that, you know, that it needs to be told because, you know, because people are more likely to trust us, our tribal people, because, you know, they feel uncomfortable, you know, around maybe a non-native journalist or something and it's important that we step up and, you know, carry on, even if you work for your own tribal publication or, or even an online publication, anything like that. It's still important to do that because, you know, you got to step up and take over because I'm not, I'm not going to be here forever. No. You know, there's things I want to do and, and that's why I want our staff to carry on, you know, because they really believe in our, newspaper and they believe and they're dedicated and it really makes a difference to be that way and care about our people because you know we know them firsthand and it makes a difference a big difference and so it's important to carry that on and and step up and do that and there's so many opportunities now you know far more than when I was in college you know I was in the old J school at Montana before yep. I graduated and what they have now is so fancy compared to when I was there. Oh, I know. I'm so jealous of them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and you, you were in that big old dark room in the basement of that old. Oh, I know. It was so scary. Go in there in the dark and put on those film reels and those 
Yeah, grow your film in the yeah, dark. But I think it really <laughs> helped you understand and appreciate, you know, what how things were created. Yeah. But now it's nothing to be able to have Bluetooth in your camera and your smartphone and just transfer them right to that. So it's pretty amazing to be able to do that. So, but it's fun. I mean, it's constantly, you're learning all the time. You know, it's just like every day I learn something new or even, you know, it's constant. And I really appreciate that because you can never, you know, not learn in this, you know, in this business because things are always changing. So, you know, you have to just step up and read and follow things and, and learn as much as you can. So it makes a difference. So, and just, you know, all, all these years I've kept in touch with my classmates from Montana. They weren't all in, you know, at the J school, they were in other areas, but, you know, I just learned from them too. And even all the native journalists, I learned from them constantly. Like when I have a question, I'll contact them or if I need advice. So it's worth it. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And once you catch the bug, the journalism bug, mm -hmm. I feel like it doesn't let you go. I mean, yeah. I was, I was out of it for 10 years and always wanted to go back and oh, like freelanced and did everything I could to come back. And then now I'm like, I'm starting my own. I'm not <laughs> working for anybody else. And well, it's great. I'm glad you're doing that because, you know, it makes a difference, you know, especially on your own res to do that and to tell their stories because it's really needed. Yeah. You know, it's really important to continue to do that. It's great. It's fun. I just need funding. Yeah. I need to well, put the fun anything, back into I'll funding. Send it your way. Yes. You know, yes. I'll let you know. Do that. And then also, if you have job opportunities or internship opportunities, send them because I'm going to start building a job board on oh, the cool. website. So, and I'm going to be posting those for free. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, awesome. Well, it was really great having you on Four Points and mm -hmm. Friends the podcast about uh, indigenous media by indigenous media makers. I really appreciate you coming on. I'll let you go. I know you have something else going on tonight. So um, have a great week and happy new year. You too. And thank you for having me. Awesome. I'll talk to you later. Okay. Bye-bye. Right. This has been a four points media production. Your host is Luella Bryn audio production by Eric Bigman Bryn. Four Points Media exists to entertain and inform the public, as well as lift Indigenous voices in authentic ways. We can be found at Instagram.com at Four Points Press, on Facebook at Four Points Press, Twitter at Newsy Crow Girl, PayPal at Four Points Media, Patreon at Four Points Press, and on our website at FourPointsPress.com. Thank you for listening.